Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of enterprise IT. And this week, after a brief run of having all four of us, we're back down to three because Zach decided to turn one of his digits into souvlaki. Not that we're ethnically stereotyping in any way on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> hey, Zach, miss you. <laughs> we'll be eating at your house anytime soon. <laughs> It'll be a digital experience. Boom, boom. Oh. <laughs> so, um, lots of us have been quite busy and or quite exercised about uh, logging uh, lately and not the good sort that goes on the fire, um, the other sort of log. Um, and let me just say for the, anyone who's listening text-to-speech, dollar brace, uh, JNDI colon LDAP, <laughs> subscribe <laughs> to Roll for Enterprise. Close brace. No, but uh, seriously, so unless you've been living under some sort of rock, you know that uh, this uh, massive vulnerability has come to light thanks to the efforts of kids playing Minecraft uh, in this you know, seemingly ubiquitous uh, logging package for Java. It's everywhere. The only way I escaped it in my own personal life is because the only machine in my house that's allowed to have a JVM on it uh, actually had a RAM stick die and so was offline throughout and in fact still is uh, because I just haven't had the spoons to to go fix it. But uh, yeah, pretty much everyone else who works with computers in any capacity has been spending a lot of cycles on Log4j. Um, how is it in your world, Mike? You're probably the closest of us to having to deal with it you know, as a it's, user. You know, it's funny because I've spoken to uh, a few friends, different industries, right? Different, And, you know, there are companies that are running around like chickens on our head trying to repair this. And companies are like, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, man, this is like a, a huge deal. Do you not have it in your environment? So I think the response is, is like mixed. Um, you know, the, the more shocking part here is um, th- th- there'll be an, a link in the show, show notes, but you can see the software list impacted. I mean, it is huge. I mean, and, and Dominic, maybe you should like, break down like it's a component used in a lot of packages because it's like just a piece of code that you would dump in so it's it's everywhere practically yeah pretty much anything at any serious scale that uses java will involve this log4j package which is how you log stuff that happens inside the application it's uh it is literally ubiquitous and the the package that i would have to be dealing uh, with with it thing is uh, actually my ubiquity Wi-Fi management app. Uh, so that's nicely ubiquitous in the ubiquity app. Uh, but no, it's um, it's a major issue also because it is full remote code execution. You can make the the affected machine do just about anything because what this does is someone back in the day was a bit too clever and they extended this package's capabilities a bit too far to the point that it can evaluate instructions that are sent to it uh, when probably your logging package shouldn't be doing that. And in fact, to their credit, many of the maintainers of Log4j had long been saying so and agitating for the removal of this feature, saying it was an accident waiting to happen. And it didn't get removed because other people had actually used this feature, and so the accident has now in due course happened. And people can send instructions to any machine running this package, and it will happily go and execute those instructions in the context of the logging package, which is often run uh, as part of something else, which in turn is running as a privileged account. And so it's able to go and do whatever it is. People have been sending Bitcoin miners and all of that sort of delightful thing. Uh, And 
the, my favorite part of this whole story, though, is it was found by Minecraft kids uh, trying to <laughs> exploit each other's servers. That, that's just amazing. That's how the internet works these days, apparently. But again, it's like uh, another vulnerability discovered before a big uh, U.S. holiday. I, I guess Memorial Day was Solar Winds, uh, the supply chain attack. There was something else that happened on July Fourth. Um, nothing on Thanksgiving, but now heading into like the holiday period. Here we are again with a bunch of like IT security folks and sysadmins running around trying to patch this. So I just yeah. want to say, just as a note, nobody on this show believes that the U.S. has too many big holidays. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is not an assertion that we have here. In fact, we have very few compared to the, our delightful friends in Europe. They just seem to no comment. better targets. I, I guess they should be happy now, right? Because it's like, hey, you know, when's the next one after this, right? So, yeah, we'll, we'll go till Memorial Day, I guess, after this one. I don't know. So. I'm slightly worried about Chinese New Year. I'm not going to lie. Hmm. Uh, I, another... Another interesting strand to this is that Log4j, in common with many other critical packages that the internet depends upon entirely, is open source and it's maintained by three people who, none of them were paid to work on Log4j. There's some funding that they get through various sources, but it once again brought to the fore the conversation about, you know, should big chunks of the internet rely on open source codes that nobody is technically paid to maintain. That's a, that's a crazy assertion to me. It's a crazy understanding of human behavior that says that if an organization pays me, and I recognize fully that, you know, I'm, I'm, I may be shooting myself in the foot here, right? But if an organization pays me, I'm going to behave more ethically or more responsibly or more consistently or more something than if an organization doesn't pay me. And I feel in some way beholden to the free world for the integrity of the internet. Like, honestly, you don't enter the open source community with this desire for profit, right? That's not a thing. And, and, and the, the idea that, the, that our moral compass is driven by our W2 just seems like it has been disproven 3,000 times. See also Enron, et cetera. Like, like <laughs> so I don't, I don't really understand why, like, why, in fact, if anything, I would say that somebody that's chosen to commit hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of their life to become an expert gratis for the benefit of humanity, such as it is, um, probably can be trusted a great deal more than somebody who's actually going to be kind of annoyed that their last performance review sucked and their bonus isn't high. Yeah, you don't want an incompetent garotist at your execution. That would suck. But but if it was if it was a company if it was a company driven and there was like strict governance, I think maybe security would have been top of mind. Where maybe really? once it's once it's a community, it's a little different. Yeah. What about solar wind? <laughs> boom boom. Yeah. Is that too soon? Um, I don't think the assertion is that there's any sort of ethical flaw in free software just because it's communism or something. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think it's you more that <laughs> I think it's more that uh, you know if it's someone's job to do it, then they presumably are able to dedicate more time, more cycles to it because they don't have to do the maintaining of log for J while also scrambling around to put food on the table. Uh, also, if it's some company's product, you would hope and expect again, Pacha Solowins that they have processes and code review and people whose job is Q&A 
which is always the hardest part of open source projects. Everyone wants to dump code into the kernel. Nobody wants to be that person who goes over that code line by line and evaluates it and looks for the security flaws and corner cases. I don't know. Cases. I just I really feel like that's a look. There's certainly one of the one of the major strategic flaws that dominated the software industry for I'm sure in all of our lifetimes, right? For the last twenty years, has been can we just recreate the Linux model? That would be great. We could be rich, right? And like this is absolutely not something that is. But you know, and now a miracle happens, and Linus Torvalds is like hatched from an egg, and now your open source project is going to be the king, right? And the failure mode is, of course, RMS and ESR and possibly various other terrible people with three-letter acronyms for names. So there's like a bell curve, right, of, of open source software, of which Linux is right at the top of like, you know, super organized. And actually, you know, I think we, we as, a, as a human race are trusting them with our <laughs> lives at some level, right? And then as you move, there's obviously garbage on the other end. But somewhere in the middle, there's like this sort of ma massive bell curve. But my experience with anybody who's actually engaging pro bono in a project like this is that they actually take it more seriously and they feel that weight more heavily. And 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 yes, I would like to make sure that everybody can eat. 100% agree with that, right? And and this should not be a, a an exploitative market. But I actually have never heard the words open source software as an exploitative market where we're expecting like sweatshop coders in their basements in Ohio to eat ramen noodles in order to make No, no, no. Like, but everyone, everyone wants to be Linus Torvalds and nobody wants okay. to do Q&A or write docs. That's the but problem. But also nobody wants to be the one who released this uh, oh no! Code with this problem. So right? someone like, will be very careful in their own personal code, but very few people volunteer to be the janitor that cleans it up afterwards. Whereas companies can afford to hire people and tell them, "Look, maybe you want to one day be the coder, but right now your entry level job is to be the coder janitor." Uh, maybe. The other angle here is like what what other code is being widely used that's. That, that has flaws in it, right? And Open I, I SSH. Think... <laughs> <laughs> Most recently. Yeah. And, and you, you know, that's, and, and now I think there'll be people looking to, yeah, digging down this rabbit hole to see what else they can exploit, right? So, um, yeah, it's 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 going to become more prevalent. I I would I would imagine at this point now. Yeah, I think that's a, a fairly safe assertion. As software becomes more and more central to our lives, people will there's more of it and you know more lines of code equals more bugs and also people doing more and more serious central things then those bugs will be more deeply felt uh, as you saw you know disney plus went out uh, you care about that a lot more than you know some abstract aws data center so uh, so does anybody think that us east went down last week for preventive patching or preventive maintenance so one theory is because uh, moving on to the next topic. <laughs> oh, it's that uh, forget oh, what Mike yeah. said. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I was actually going along with you. Uh, so US East one went down last week. This week we're talking about another AWS outage. US yep. West one, two, and uh, Golf Cloud uh, in the West. So it's kind of rolling AWS outage across the continental US. Uh, one of the theories is that. A, not the direct cause, but a proximate cause is actually rolling out some of the stuff that got announced from reInvent, gradually rolling it out data center by data center. Oh. And yeah, and so, not saying that there were flaws in some open source code that Amazon was. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> but that that activity, as 
anyone who's ever been a sysadmin or sysadmin approximate knows, you know, if it ain't broke, don't mess with it because there's a good chance you'll break it while doing something unrelated and now you'll have to fix it live in prod. And so there's a theory that something happened uh, as part of that process, which ended up unearthing, you know, network config issues or whatever it might be. I wonder if my if if Amazon's gotten to the point where they're too big to to manage it all uh, properly. I mean that that could be it. That, which means that yeah, Microsoft should be licking its lips at this point or licking its chops, whatever, however you want to say it. But. I don't know that I would ever cast aspersions. Like honestly, I used to work for a cloud provider, and AWS would go down, or Azure would go down, or like you know, there's this sort of moment where you want to be like, well, we're still running, but then another part of you is like, this is the glassiest of houses. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. Then, for the grace of whoever go we, indeed. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Ask not for who the, the, the patch told. <laughs> the, the West outage, though, that was an interesting one because it was, so, you know, every other Amazon outage, it's always been like, who's not working that everybody went crazy about? Like, oh my God, my Netflix doesn't work. My my, my, Microsoft, my Disney doesn't work. Oh, what, Disney, what are you going to do to fix it? Netflix, what are you going to do? This was the first time where, most of the heat was directed at AWS. I, I didn't hear of any of the end customers who were impacted, and and maybe yeah, that's... the only major service that went down was Discord, uh, that I saw cited. Uh, oh, crypto trading volumes must have gone down. That's gotta hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that we're walking down this path, and and we are super guilty of it. And Zach isn't here to help propagate that of sort of this overarching narrative that maybe there's an AWS outage conspiracy theory. And um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm here for this particular badly made Hollywood movie. Um, however, um, I, I just want to think about like, is this the world that we're coming to? Have we decided that the trust model with these people who put out a white paper after every outage, uh, have we decided that, that they have decided that maybe that let's call it PR best effort PR is, is, is something that they can manipulate these outages around, right? And and obviously the PR team is involved, right? They're 100% true. But at the same time, like I wonder if we want to be living in a world where we actually mistrust this ubiquitous service at this level that we are considering conspiracy before um, human error. I think the hard part there is like it's such a complex system that when they write the white paper of what happened, I mean, it's got to be boiled down so... Yeah, yeah like, nine-tenths of it is set up. So exactly. we have this system that manages this other system, which in turn is responsible for a third system, which is the <laughs> one that oversees all of the systems, which do the management. <laughs> and you're halfway down and you're still scrolling and you're going, yes, but what actually happened? <laughs> A butterfly flapped its wings in China, and now Mike's kids can't watch Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, like if if you get down to it, I mean, they they realize as they write this that potentially there's things they can't say, right? Because of it's it, and then like who's going to really understand it? So it's it's real easy for people to poke poke holes in it. I mean, and that's that's part of I think what's happening here, right? But right. how how can they come out and be be super honest with with everything happening around it? I, I don't know, right? And yeah, I'm certain we're at a level of complexity where it's actually genuinely hard to reason about 
these can problems. You, can you imagine the meetings internally to AWS where somebody is explaining to an executive what happened and no. like does the executive actually get what oh, actually no, they, happened? They definitely had two no. war rooms like we're saying last time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's there's multiple levels of war rooms at, at AWS. <laughs> there's no way. The way down. I yeah, would yeah. say that anybody who is anywhere near anybody who's running a production service in a public internet data center situation has had this conversation once a week, right? Can you believe what I just found? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, the highlight of everybody's week if in the nerd world, right? Yeah, like, yeah. If anyone had sneezed near that thing, we'd have lost Chicago. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. right, right? And it's sort of, I'm sure somewhere in the ER doctor world, people are like, and so then he put the paperclip in his ear, right? And this is Oh, I am going to have to go spelunking. Uh, a while ago, I fell down Ooh. a rabbit hole. There are forums of uh, emergency personnel, nurses and doctors. Horrifying. And whatnot. Oh, yes, terrifying. But the interesting thing is they have their own specialized language and acronyms, much like, you know, IT of people course. do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the, the ones that stuck with me is SOCMOB, uh, which is the main justification for somebody showing up in the ER. And it stands for standing on corner, minding own business. <laughs> I swear I did nothing wrong. And then, and then chicken attacked my nose. I think that was one I actually did read. So I'll have to see if I can find the link to these things because they're genuinely yeah. hilarious. For those of you who've been around long enough and remember Usenet and used to read Elsa's Admin Recovery, this is like that in its heyday, except with a lot more blood. Well, a little bit more blood. Well, some more blood. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Shout out to all the scary devil monks out there. It's so nice to have good company across other industries, isn't it? To find real commonality between our lives. Uh, at the base, everybody's a software person. Yeah. 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 Just yes. Uh, at the wetware. <laughs> um, moving swiftly onwards. Uh, Benedict Evans, uh, if you're not following him, you should be. Uh, he is an ex-telecom analyst. He is usually right and even when he's wrong he's wrong entertainingly and instructively uh so it's it's usually worth reading his stuff and following along i was at a16z for a while uh now i'm not entirely sure what he does uh he has a paid newsletter but i'm sure that's not his only hustle uh, but he puts out this uh, big year-end presentation well I, I say big it's not uh who's the woman who puts out the the monster presentations every year mary yeah mary mm, i'm yeah can't remember Mike, splice it in when you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. look smart. Um, but he puts out this uh, much shorter presentation. It's a mere 100 slides. And we'll put the link in the show notes, the latest one. And it's kind of a recap of what's been going on and extrapolation of where it's going. And I thought there were some interesting points in that. It started with kind of where we're at. And he was talking about uh, Web3, which he summarized all the old problems in exciting new ways. And I literally have nothing to add to that. that. That's perfect. That sums it all up. There, there will be a Web3 ecosystem. I don't know that Web2, Web1, or, or what we see today disappears, but there will be some applications that come out. How usable will they be? How will they work? I, like that, that still remains to be seen. But I think there are a lot of... Um, Man, how do, what, do you, what would you call them? A lot of There's a lot of enthusiasm and prima donnas around it that are like, yeah, this is the best new thing. If you're not here, you're, you're done. But yeah, it, it still remains to be seen what, what use case comes out of it, what, what apps. Um, lots of no-code companies are starting to sprout up around 
the Web3 space, which might make it a bit interesting, but I don't know that it would matter whether you're Web3 or not. So I, I don't know. This this will be interesting. Yeah, that's my usual issue with all of this stuff. It's like, yes, but now replace the words blockchain with a database. If it still makes sense, do it that way. <laughs> if it doesn't, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so so what do you need that level of, of trust and, and, and security around, right? So yeah, I, I can see like the smart contract space. I can see like the, um, the DAOs that they're forming and, and so on. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. We shall see, and it's certainly got enough momentum that it will stick around for a while. Uh, like I say, I don't see it solving any particular new problems. Um, VR and AR, uh, he had an interesting take on that one. Uh, he's wandered around a little bit on his opinion of it, at least his public opinion. Um, but the summary that I found there was the technology can always get better, but that doesn't guarantee universal appeal. And so he illustrated that with a slide with uh, games consoles on it. Uh, I've never been a console person, uh, which is kind of relevant. Uh, so one was, I think, a Super Nintendo, and the other one's the current PlayStation. And I would wager, without having looked up any of the numbers, that the the market size for those two devices isn't that dissimilar. It's not like, you know, once upon a time, the Super Nintendo was, was niche, and now every living room is incomplete without a PlayStation. So a bunch of kids had Super Nintendos and a bunch of kids had Playstations. Hmm. It hasn't really gone mass market. Yeah, I, I, I do see a lot of older people playing games, which, like, I don't remember my dad playing video games. So, like, you know, there's people our age that play a lot of video games. Let's leave it at that. I mean, right or wrong. <laughs> I, we I, don't judge like, you, Mike. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and, like, the metaverse, like, in this whole VR, AR, like, I... I don't know, like, maybe it's because of our generation, it is a bit dystopian, right, when you start to look at it or what you're going to do. But, you know, it might grow up in a generation. And if that generation comes to the forefront, and they're still using it, then yeah, it'll be here. But I, I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a big war going on now. And then there's these metaverses where people are buying land and, and trying to like, you know, Adidas is getting involved, Nike's gotten involved this week, like, so you see like fashion brands going to it. I, I don't know. I mean, I think they need to be there so that their their competitors don't run off with if, if something hits or, or stays. But yeah, yeah be right I, back. I'm just going to right click, save myself a new pair of sneakers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of like people who are like have fear of missing out, but it'll it'll take time to to come to fruition. And I mean, companies can always move there later. I mean, look at how the web evolved. I mean, the winners are not the ones uh, from yeah. day one, right? Yahoo, AltaVista, like Come they're on, not. my space is hot. It, it, yeah, see, it's like, yeah, yeah. A Apple was never the first one to do anything well. They, they are a, an evolutionary company and they'll evolve it. But yeah, Dominic, everybody's talking about Apple getting into the VR AR space. So I'm sure that's when you'll jump in. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. they, they might. So here's the thing. Uh, we talk about VR and AR as being the same thing, but they're not. Uh, they just share some technological underpinnings. Yeah. But VR requires content. You, you have to pump something into those 8K screens uh, an inch from your eyeballs. And that probably comes from an online service, especially these days. And Apple has never been particularly interested in either of those two things, uh, in producing a bunch of content, especially interactive content, and running big scaled online services. So I don't see Apple doing that part. And they don't build hardware just for the sake of it, build an ecosystem, let others come. 
they build a joint hardware software offering. Uh, what about so, Apple TV? So Apple TV is kind of the exception, but again, it's piggybacking on an existing ecosystem. So the yeah. Apple TV is yeah. arguably Apple doing what they do best, looking at what's out there and saying we can do that better. Uh, who who and was more it? Expensively. Well, yeah, was it Benedict Evans and his slides that said the Apple TV and the iPhone came out at the same time? Yes, that was and it's elsewhere in the deck. Which yeah blows me away. Right, I mean just that fact blows me away. And uh, Apple TV hasn't really undergone just a massive change, right? So well, as he says in the deck, the the underpinning technology wasn't all there. So Apple TV works well for me now because I have gigabit fiber into my house. If I tried to do it when the first iPhones were coming out with 2G connections, not even 3G, and Apple TV would, would have been untenable. So I think that that part does make sense. Uh, but going back to the Apple thing, AR, AR I think could easily happen because AR piggybacks on a bunch of stuff Apple does have. So one of the most frequent examples people go to is, oh, if I could have eyeglasses on my face, that would show me walking directions without having to get my phone out all the time. Didn't oh. both Google and Facebook have that story? Google Google has all this like kind of there. Let me tell you what Google fails at. Google is a horrible execution company. Yeah, they're horrible at packaging things. They're horrible at because they have all the data. They have all the information. If they had somebody who could actually execute and actually come to like, hey, you know, talk about the normal people in the world, not all these like hipsters who live in Palo Alto or wherever, that they'd have <laughs> great products, you know? And and this is the the Google problem. Google fails to execute. So yeah, Google look, basically look at that has phones. a customer persona that is like a, a 30 a Google person. hipster. Yeah, a Google yeah. person. Yeah. And they just can't even conceive of the rest of us. The, the only reason there's so many Android phones, phones out in the world is because they're cheap and affordable where Apple isn't. But if you gave anybody the open choice, everybody would always pick an iPhone. Now, yes, there will be people who will pick the Android and the people picking the Android will probably pick the the clear like Google, no like Samsung bloatware on it. And I, I mean, they've just, I, I don't know. It's its just, I Can think I recommend that is... my husband does not listen to this particular episode of the podcast. We are in a, a mixed marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you're, you're getting green. You're getting green bubbles from your husband. That is unacceptable. Unacceptable. <laughs> Relationship killer. Right there. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, jeez. So shout out to the spouses who listen to podcasts. So does mine. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnant pause. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I I could totally see uh, Apple dropping AR glasses at some point once they've figured out uh, the, the tech, once they've figured out what they want to do with that. And they may well not be the first. I mean, Google Glass kind of popped the seal on that, but it went nowhere. So no it could well be that somewhere someone else does a first round of AR before Apple comes out with theirs. I fully expect theirs to be, oh, that's what it was supposed to be, like it was with uh, with smartphones. But I would be very, very surprised if they were the ones to come out with VR. That seems much more like a Facebook Oculus thing. But here's a bone for Lilac. Uh, mainframe installed capacity still growing. Shocking. Hold, 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 hold on, hold on. They're not they're not talking about the total number of mainframes out there. The chart was on MIPS. On MIPS. Yeah. Which which means that okay, a mainframe has many more MIPS than it used to have. So total like processing power has grown, but I wouldn't say the install base has I'm grown. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Point of point of clarity, Mr. Mike. Um 
number of mainframes may not have grown. However, the larger capacity is actually not simply a shipped box size thing, but a consumption mechanism on top because mainframe is sold on, that's on how consumption, not on a uh, number of physical things you could kick with your toe um, or in Zach's case with your broken finger. And so, <laughs> like, I, I think that, that, that what we have here is a growth in mainframe utilization, though not perhaps a growth in the number of customers of mainframe, which I'm willing to see. Um, and honestly, who can like, how, why is this even a surprise? Like we're in a situation where mainframes run huge numbers of transactional systems. Almost any business that is growing would like to grow their number of transactions. Over time, mainframes are going to grow until such time as people actually extract them from their data center, which we all know, I think, is going to happen not before I retire. And Mike thinks is going to happen next year. No, no, no. I, I, I think, look, I mean, look, almost every bank has a mainframe, but that's because of historical reasons. And of course, you need MIPS because there's so many bad mainframe programmers. I'm going to get so much hate mail now. But, uh, you know, it's I mean, this is this is what's happening. No company, no new company would start and say like, oh, mainframe would solve this problem. Like nobody goes there. Nobody goes there. It, it's yeah, but it's no like no new company would also start and say, you know what I'm going to do is disrupt the global financial services industry with my brand new bank. Actually, everybody's kind of doing that now, but let's... Oh, come let, on, let's, you and your Bitcoin. I'll, I'll, oh, send you, I'll send you a success story. This involves no cryptocurrencies. <laughs> no, no, come on. Square, PayPal, Affirm. I mean, all, all these like new DeFi companies. I mean, some of them are, are, are quite serious in the space. And I think, you know, investment accounts, so on and so forth. I mean... I, I I I don't know that. How I, far back do you have to reach for, before you touch a mainframe in those environments, though? Right? They might have a. They might be working with a broker or a State Street behind the scenes that is actually managing the transactions. As soon as you get to IBAN numbers, yeah, there's a mainframe in there. There's a mainframe <laughs> yeah, in yeah. there, right? Like, sure, you can skin it in a fancy new iPhone app, but underneath, which is a lot of what's going on. Yeah, we right, we do a bunch right. of that at work. It's, uh, there's mainframe offloads, but it's not turning off the mainframe. It's uh, you know this workload Growing is the not myth, a good fit. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I think that one will run and run. But the, the final slide from Benedict Evans' uh, deck uh, was one that spoke to me. Uh, it's something that he's also talked about on his podcast that I believe we've uh, talked about uh, before that he does with uh, Tony Cannon Brown. Uh, and it was uh, lessons from the past. Who made more from the deployment of cars and who made more from car commerce? Detroit or retailers? And this is a point he's made before, but it's um, IT has a kind of navel-gazing nature. We tend to assume that computer people will be the people who understand and profit from the future enabled by computers. And that's not necessarily the case. I think there's a lot more money has been made by uh, you know online retail than has been made by vendors of networking hardware. Which is why I think a lot of these people are talking up the technology to see like, hey, eventually a business person will listen, figure out the use case, and then that's what will propel it further. And that's where the real money yeah, ends up being made or the big money ends up being made. Yeah, but that's not how the car industry worked. The car industry made sense on its own terms. It just turned out to enable a whole bunch of positive externalities and a whole bunch of true, negative true. externalities, it mm -hmm. turns out. 
Machine but technology is sort of fundamentally enabling in this way, right? It isn't yeah. an end in itself. Particular, well, not all technology, obviously, right? Your Xbox is an end in Hashtag itself. Hashtag not all technology. Not all technology. <laughs> but, but, but there's, you know, networking technology is not an end in itself. No one is like, you know, what I really need in my life is a network um, not to access the internet, right? It's a facilitating capability, and that's true for a lot of what we do. And in fact, I would argue that that's actually, and we've had a whole separate podcast on this, but when we talk about where people look at their career paths, enabling technologies typically are less attractive because they're the magic behind the magic behind the magic. And therefore the youths and the kids don't see the appeal of that. And they all want to go work for, you know, Uber Eats or whatever, because they're doing like the, the iPhone app that is sort of cool <laughs> and visible and can be explained to your mother. Um, but the truth <laughs> is enabling technologies actually are a, a, a delightful place where all of us actually essentially play right in our in yeah our, you, don't, you don't have to sell us and i don't think very much of the audience uh, on this notion yeah, that's sorry, literally yeah. what we do this is, this is literally what we do <laughs> yeah. and it uh, turns out to be a lot of fun but people aren't really interested when you try to tell them about it at parties the best kept secret <laughs> yeah so with that let's move on to recommendations uh so i have a well this is uh, that's very tippy top layer of the cake it uh, runs on youtube which runs on eventually no probably not mainframes but uh <laughs> this uh, i believe is a canadian guy loic superville uh he has a series Mike, of short no 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 <laughs> uh, contrary to belief i don't know all three canadians in the world yeah so okay um so there's a series of shorts on youtube uh, about universal language uh, in which he makes fun of uh, mainly French, uh, but sometimes English and Spanish grammar. And it is roll-on-the-floor hilarious. Uh, it's ridiculously good. Uh, plus, they're short, so, you know, you're in it for 30 seconds. It's not a huge investment. I highly, highly recommend them. It's amazing. I have a recommendation that's maybe perhaps equally as amusing. And this season is the season where Ask a Manager does all the updates as well as the voting for the year's worst boss. And it is truly a race to the bottom um, in a way that has... Uh, schadenfreude written all over it i i generally love um allison green and ask a manager i read every single day um because she just has very sound advice and also sort of gives a perspective on workplace situations that that occur that perhaps people are seeing from different vantage points so you know it's a it's a great read on any day but this is particularly the time of year when when you get the updates about the person who sent the intern to the grave site to deliver a to-do item to the morning widow or whatever <laughs> jeez <laughs> Can I? Can I? Can my recommendation be complaining about something? Can Can we do that? An anti recommendation? I love it. <laughs> Man, so you guys like so in the in the role for enterprise chat, I, I've been I, I've sent a couple of text messages about hey, does anybody have duplicates, triple triplicates of their contacts on their iPhone? And uh, so I finally started to dig into this, and apparently there's some kind of conflict between like Outlook contacts, if you use the Outlook app, and your contacts on your mm -hmm. iPhone oh. that syncs and doesn't finish the sync if you have too many contacts, and then you start to have doubles and triples. Mm -hmm. So I am going through a very painful, painful contact cleanup on like multiple areas to get this fixed. And uh, if you read notes, like uh, Microsoft blames Apple and Apple blames Microsoft, and it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. So, Two companies both well-known for respecting publicly documented standards. 
and, and you know the the most the most annoying thing, yeah, yeah. The the most annoying thing in all of this is somehow LinkedIn kind of hooks into I don't know if it's Outlook or my contacts or somewhere, and I'm trying to get rid of this damn like link. Like I do not want my LinkedIn contacts like to move to my phone, but somehow they are. It's getting into my oh, calendar. Oh, I like, made that mistake this is as well. Horrible. Like, this is I horrible. Think- I'm just going to communicate to you that I solved this problem about 10 years ago when I left a company that wouldn't actually let me keep my phone. And so they had they had subsumed it and then they wouldn't release it. And so actually it all got blown away and I lost all my contacts. And it was amazing. Please sleep. I did something similar. Exactly. That's what it takes. You were probably pretty pissed at the time, but maybe that worked out for the best. I had a series of four letter words. Yeah, yeah. By the way, all made worse because I have Outlook on my iPad and my iPhone. So there you go. Just gets worse and worse. So thank you both. This has been super fun. Uh, go patch your log for J if you haven't already, please, seriously. Uh, you can also, while you're doing that, you can follow the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with a number four or on our LinkedIn page, which we promise will not hook into all your contacts and spam you. <laughs> The theme music is by my good friend Renato Podesta, who still likes the touch bar, even though Apple doesn't. Please send us suggestions for topics and guests for future episodes. And uh, we will talk to you again, uh, well, sometime before the end of the year, I hope. Thanks, everybody. Bye.